Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. You should be used to us by now. But if you're new, uh, my name is Laz Michaelides and on the screen opposite me is my co-host, Mr. Felipe Amorim. How's it going, man? All good, man. How's it going there? Fantastic. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Not too bad. Just, uh, yeah, carrying on with life. Normal. What about you? <laughs> yeah, well, not not. Um, it's not as quiet as in the countryside, but it's a fairly quiet Saturday morning, Soho. Can't hear any noises from the street. Amazing. I feel like when I used to live in London, there were days where sort of six, I don't know, I'd say like 95% of the time you wake up and then you've got your noise, you've got the hustle and bustle, you've got all the life going on. And then there was just one day every three weeks where nothing's happening. It's just I like, think, where's everyone gone? It's a ghost town. <laughs> well, I know, uh, judging by uh, people's behaviors on, on last night's gig, that I think everyone's just smashed. And, uh, everyone is just, they're all recovering yeah, every, from every, hangover. yes everybody so is having a massive hangover now. uh anyway brilliant yeah. stuff anyway uh, not you, me not me not you no no he's too I'm professional right. to play drunk yeah. um why don't you introduce right. this album because felipe chose it so we're doing an album today uh the album we're doing is the police regatta de blanc and felipe why did you choose it well, I chose this one because I think we needed to talk about the police, of course. And I think uh, I think this is their best album, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's, Have you it's listened most... to much of their other stuff? Yes. Yeah. I think this one is, in my opinion, again, we, we choose albums not only based on their um, importance for rock music, but on personal taste as well, isn't it? Cause, right, yeah. uh, obviously, we're not going to choose, uh, well, most of the time, we're not going to choose uh, albums that no one has ever heard of but uh you know but this one specifically specifically sounds really like a band uh um attempting to create stuff together and um and i love this I, we, we talked about this this a million times i love albums that are cre- uh, created and produced by a band in a true sense yeah. of the word like uh, uh, you know, in this case, a three-piece band jamming together and writing songs, mm-hmm. and the vibe, and you can tell that that vibe is there. The other thing for me is, it's quite unpredictable. You know, some songs you think there's going like, maybe a strong chorus is going to come, and then they just have an instrumental riff going on, and and then it's like I, I like the this element of of uh, surprise that you have in some songs, it and is- I think it's very different to, to uh, everything that was that was being done at the time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's very much a jammy album, isn't it, in that sense? Because uh, when I was doing some research, they um, they didn't rehearse any songs before recording this album. They went. Yeah. In, I read somewhere where they said uh, they didn't rehearse any songs. They went in and they said, right, who's got a song? <laughs> and they took it from there. Exactly. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's funny because they, they were already successful, but they didn't have a number one hit, if I'm not wrong. Um, they got two number one, two UK number one um, singles. If this one is "Message in a Bottle" and "Walking on the Moon," yeah, and um, so they charted really well, number one. Come on, uh, but but before that, I mean, they 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 already had a style. They knew what they were doing, I guess. Well, but they, they, they were tampering. Sorry, yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah, they they you know they had a style. They had a, a, a concept of what the band was, but they didn't have songs. Yeah, and the interesting thing, I, I, you know, that the the classic struggle for creative control, you mm. know, the clash between uh, bands and labels. I don't know how strong that was with with their label, but 
Uh, they decided to record his album using money they made from the first album. So they took their own money, their own profit from the first album. And uh, I th- so it, I couldn't find the exact budget, but it's... I, I, uh, I know what it is. Well, what is it? £2,000. You're kidding me. Yeah, I've said that. I've seen some people say it could be uh, between six and £9,000. No, uh, yeah, mind, yeah. yeah, mind you, £2,000 in uh, 1979 was some money, but still very, very, very cheap for yeah. a uh, mainstream band. I mean, there were... You know, they were getting big at the time. But the idea was like, if we paying for this, if we record in a cheap studio with a not-so-well-known producer, uh, the album was produced, we need to mention his name, uh, Nigel Gray, yeah, Nigel Gray, that's him, and and the police, so the band yeah. and him. He was doing sound engineer and producing, and they were producing with him. Um, so they, they had total creative control. I think that was uh, the main idea that yeah. was... Uh, well, yeah, that's that's why they they put the money. A bit of a bit of background from the album, because um, I watched a documentary on it. Um, it's called "The Making of Regatta de Blanc," and oh, wow. um, it's quite interesting because they had come from this punky background where they were very much punk musicians. You know, Sting and Andy Summers definitely more so. Where Stuart Copeland, he had more of a jazzy side, didn't he? he came from a jazz side more, um, but punk was kind of ending in the UK and they was making this transition to punk rock, you know, making it a bit more accessible to audiences, you know, new wave was coming in with all the synths and everything. And they just out of, I don't know what I didn't see on the documentary was who and why the reggae vibe was introduced. I don't know who said it or why they did it or who even liked it, but it's from their first album. um, The song Roxanne and another one can't stand losing you. They, were the songs that were released in the UK and they flopped, but they took them to America and Roxanne became a huge success. And then That's they re-released insane. it in England and it was a success again. So, maybe because, so, they, well, wait a minute, the, the guys, you know, across the pond are enjoying this song, so maybe yeah, it might be maybe good. we should too, yeah. So the, this is the kind of the Roxanne and the Can't Stand, Can't Stand Losing You. They do have that well, more than just a reggae feel, they are kind of half reggae songs. So that's where I think the police took that inspiration and said, well, hold on, we're onto a winning formula here. Let's try something different. Because at the same time, you've got this kind of ska revival going on in the yeah. UK, you know, bands like The Specials um, doing their thing. They're very, the Specials are different, though, because I definitely consider them way more scar than mm-hmm. rock reggae punk like i'd consider the police um but maybe maybe the police were the first band to kind of try this this hybrid of punk rock and reggae and and maybe some people wouldn't think that scar uh is a good uh is a good thing to be mixed with rock music and i think it is you know yeah i think i think it, and, and uh, a lot of it comes from from the drumming and it seems like i've sent you a a link didn't it? Uh, this this video of, of uh, Stuart Copeland uh, for I think Modern Drummer magazine, and he's going on about uh, his approach to a backbeat. So for those who are not familiar with this musical term, a backbeat, uh, well, it's basically the uh, beats two and four of a bar. When you when you when you're clapping your hands at the gig, if you do it properly, <laughs> one two three four, one two three four. Some people clap on one and three. I know that that's really annoying, but you know we we love everyone. We love even people who clap on one and three. But um, uh, I, I just so that 
when you when you hear uh, uh, rock music and, and pop music and you know you have the backbeat as the foundation of the groove you have the snare drum playing generally really loud on two and four and still can, I, can I just add, can I quickly yeah. just interrupt and say that this is the 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 fact the backbeat being on says one two three four one two yeah. three four this doesn't just limit to one genre there is a whole subgenre in heavy metal called groove metal and bands like Pantera are famous for it there's a famous song called Cowboys from Hell which goes yes. and in metal normally because of the strength you're going to accent one and three before two and four but bands like Pantera and a lot of new metal like Corn they would come out as well and actually say well no screw this we want to make it a groovy dancey so we'll put the emphasis on two and four um so i'll put those songs in the plays for you guys to hear but felipe please carry on it's a, yeah but it's just but explaining that it's it's more than just rock and pop isn't it you can groove in you know it's actually a foundation of jazz when i was learning is, how to yeah. walk bass in jazz my problem when i was learning jazz on bass is that i'd kept going and my tutor was like you've got to accent two and four and it was so hard to get my mind around it going do 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 and it just swings much better so that's everywhere like um you know jazz blues country soul pop uh it's so the backbeats everywhere in popular music literally everywhere if you listen to the radio you're going to be listening to the snare on the backbeat all day yeah then Stuart Copeland, according to, to himself in that video, <laughs> it says, um, I'm a spoiled brat, so I decided to be stubborn and not play the backbeat. So that's <laughs> like, come on, mate. Everyone needs a backbeat. But he said, no, we don't. You know, we can do something yeah. different. So he plays around the backbeat. Sometimes he keeps a four on the floor, which the kick drum, boom, 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 all the way. And he plays like a percussionist around the backbeat. Yeah. Like on the off beats all the time, and that is, you know, that's obviously a, a very common in reggae music. So, yeah. uh, so it does a lot of that, and uh, there's there's loads of African influences and 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 you know percussive ideas in general. So I think that one interesting thing about this album is the fact that um, Andy Summers, although he's a phenomenal musician, he sounds to be like he wanted should just leave as much room as possible for the other two guys. The yeah. guitar, and normally in a rock band, you have the guitar as the lead instrument. And here, he plays rhythmically most of the time, instead of soloing all the time. And there's not much distortion or, or no. any effects that make the guitar uh, stand out. So the guitar is there, like, you know, sometimes playing a reggae uh, uh, rhythm pattern, uh, but always very clean. And yeah. always like... And, and, kind of in the background whilst the bass and the drums are um, i would say the lead instruments it's really interesting yeah no no i completely agree and what's interesting is do you remember it's funny because we've never had three albums in a row where we've been mm. able to make the link but do you remember last week or two <laughs> weeks ago i said to you that it was funny that we did the joshua tree because that was yeah. about a band who went to america and the, the album before that was super tramp who did the same thing about Breakfast in America. So we made that link. And the link between the Joshua Tree and this album is how I believe in agreement with you, um, Andy Summers really creates an atmosphere. He uses the guitar to create atmosphere throughout the album, doesn't he? And again, we're finding an example of a rock band and a rock album, 
I know you can throw the words punk and reggae in there as well, even even rock and roll, which we might get to in a few of the songs. <laughs> but, um, it's a rock album, and the guitar is not the star of the show again. It is, yeah. I'd say, in order, Sting's vocals, then second, Sting's bass and Stuart's drums, then third, Andy's guitar, which is funny, isn't it? Yeah. That's not a normal rock structure. Um, but- yeah, so we talk, we talk about uh, about um, Andy Summers and we talked about Stuart Copeland. Now we need to talk about Sting. Come on. Yeah. Well, hold on. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the drums quickly because right. I thought if we're going to talk about instruments, before we get into the songs, I did have some mm-hmm. notes on all the instruments. Um I agree with you. Yeah, the percussive element, you know, the documentary I was watching, someone said that Stuart Copeland's drumming was almost like Art Baker, you know, the jazz drummer, just taking random percussive moments and throwing them in every now and then. Um, This was hilarious. The band preferred Stuart Copeland playing reggae because when he played punk, he'd speed up. Oh yes, yes. He was famous famous for speeding up live, wasn't he? Um, do you know the other thing I noticed is the virtue? It, it, I feel all of these guys in this album perform to a virtuoso style level. Maybe that's a mm-hmm. bit too far, you know, but they are playing fantastically intricate and complex lines. And specifically, Stuart Copeland, with he's got that hi hat solo, or I'd say solo in yeah. quotation marks, the hi hat section in Walking on the Moon in between the first chorus and yeah. the second verse. It does this dun dun dun. Yeah, just these just, little bits, and then placing accents and stuff. Exactly, yeah. and even that uh, the solo, the start of Regatta de Blanc. Like that, it just sounds like a jazz solo to start off with. Um, I just thought that it was, you know, it, it was another moment where the, the album was not filled with drum solos galore. Um, sorry, well, drum solos and or drum fills. Yes. They're not crazily filled throughout the album, but yet his drumming in those unique moments, Regatta de Blanc intro, Walking on the Moon, hi-hat thing, they really do take the musicianship to another level, and as a drummer, and it's, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's not soloing; it's uh, it's being creative with the rhythm, It's making the beat interesting, It's yeah. exploring the off beats, exploring the spaces between the beats uh, to make it interesting. I I think it's very much an approach of a percussionist. When you have a percussionist yeah. in a band, which doesn't happen in rock music very often, the percussionist would be playing around the groove because the drum and the bass player are providing the groove. Yeah. So the percussionist doesn't need to play the groove. He plays around it. He adds layers and and and, and he explores uh, the spaces between the beats. And Stuart Copeland does that himself. He does the the beat and and the offbeat. He, he plays. He keeps the the groove going whilst. Uh, um, using the spaces in between the beats, you know. Why do you think that is as a drummer? Do you think this is because of his jazz influence, or did you think? He I did think this he had. Music? Uh, I I think he had the influence of um, uh, African music as well. I think had, I I and I actually think he lived in other countries, not only. Uh, so I I don't know. I need to research his his uh, background, but he's. Mm-hmm. I've seen some interviews when he mentions exp- you know having experiences abroad and traveling and. And uh, and playing with, with other musicians and and getting to know music from different uh, traditions in different countries, mm. and I think that's what it is. He wasn't trying to stick to one genre or to you know, uh, he, and he was really far from punk. Really, if you think about uh, the the other two guys, uh, well, 
sound they sound more to me like two punk musicians getting into something new and for me it was like Stuart Copeland was like well I was never a punk musician anyway now (laughs) now I'm free to do my own thing and uh, this stubbornness this fact that he he didn't want to play the obvious uh, grooves and the obvious choices for for most songs uh, it really makes him uh, um, a unique drummer and very creative. I think he's he's mm. really well regarded in the drumming community. Yeah. Um, no one is ever talking about technique or, or, or you know some people criticize him for this like speeding up thing. Or you know he can't keep time kind of stuff. Well, the thing is 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 with, without a doubt one of the most creative and influential drummers ever. So mm. uh, that's what it is. So Brilliant. well, moving and, on from drums. Okay. No, before we move on, we can, <laughs> I, I have to mention that he plays a huge role in the album as songwriter and singer in one song, and and he plays guitar in some of the, in some songs. So uh, yeah, Very it's cool. uh, it's yeah, more so than he, just the drummer's performance. He's given more for this album, isn't he? Than exactly. The yeah, the would song, expect to. yeah. On any other day, the seventh song of the album, he plays pretty much all the instruments. Really, wow. and and he's singing as well. So now that's very funny. That one. Um, we'll yeah. come back to that. Well, after, or, yeah, yeah. We'll come back to that. I'll, I'll just because I just want to touch on the bass playing. Um, yes, because so Sting, um, he's one of those bass players where you you do wonder if there's anything he can't do because you can hear it in this performance of this album. It is a reggae based playing style, but it's quite complex. Now, the thing about reggae bass is that. You normally just mess around with what they call triads, which is just the root, the third, and the fifth of a chord. And because all that's all you need. The yeah. root tells you the chord you're playing, the third tells you whether it's major or minor, and the fifth is like an embellishment. It's like just makes it sound beefier. So if you listen to any song, you know, I'm thinking um uh The Harder They Come by I think it's Jimmy Cliff, you know, yeah. that in the playlist. You know, the bass is very simple and often you're not really playing you know, there's a cover of um Cat Stevens Wild World by uh oh, band, I can't remember their name, but I'll I'll put it in the playlist. Um and it's just simple bass playing with bass, uh with reggae bass. But but Sting very obviously deviates here, doesn't he? It's very complex, some of these bass lines, very intricate as well. Yeah, and and it it took me a while to to actually uh, pay attention to his bass playing. I'm sorry to the bassists out there. It's not that I don't. <laughs> it's not that I don't give a fuck about the bassists. It's just the because uh, uh, you know it's such like uh, um, a phenomenal band leader and lead singer. That sometimes it's what that's all people can think about. Yeah, and they listen. Yeah. And 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 uh, obviously he's got like a. An extensive catalog as as a solo artist, and uh, you know most people know him as a solo artist rather than the police frontman. And he, he played with some of the best session musicians in the world, some great jazz players, and and recorded amazing albums, uh, exploring different styles. And 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 his voice, I mean, everyone tries to sound like him, isn't it? In yeah. the pop world, I mean, very I mean, unique, uh, isn't it? Very distinctive. Yes, yeah. and then people try to emulate that and uh, uh well no one can actually sing like him and he's still a, a phenomenal singer now uh, to this day and uh I, I think bruno mars sounds a lot like him i think it's think about it yeah he, he probably he probably oh, God, tries that's to. crazy bro that's yeah. a great comparison 
<laughs> Listen, because it's the same sort of like high pitched uh, pop. Is there record. is there any particular Bruno Mars song you heard that you thought that I'll put in the playlist? I uh, was the one that the uh, 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 God, I'm not no, I'm not a big uh, fan, so I don't know. Where uh, Uptown uh, Locked Fun, Locked Out of Heaven, Locked Out of Heaven, yeah, yeah. Think oh my God, that. you're right, and it's yes. almost got that reggae vibe as well, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Brilliant, bro. I mean, That's if, brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I never, I never read an interview with Bruno Mars or anything, but I'm pretty sure he's he's into Sting and uh, Solitary and the Police. He has to be. Come on, uh, but yeah, so yeah, he's got that like amazing voice that everyone recognizes, and but no one talks about his bass playing. Mm. And also, one thing is when you have total control and you're a solo artist and it's all about you and and you 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 in charge, right? Uh, when you're a member of a band, doesn't matter if you were the most important guy in the band, you're going to be collaborating. And yeah. that brings another side of your creativity. Uh, again, talking about the fact that this album was done uh, uh, in such a, um, like, how how can I put it? Um, I, they didn't prepare, right? They were yeah, not prepared. Yeah. So they, they, were not, they were not like, yeah, we got a bunch of songs, let's go there and record it. So low budget. They recorded everything in a total time of four weeks, although yeah. it took a few, I think it took a few months to actually do it. But they, they only spent a total of four weeks in studio, I think, yeah. or touring. So, um, and they did all of it. Jamming, that, that is a recipe for disaster sometimes. So that's why you have to recognize how good those guys are. If you get into a studio, not having, you know, a single song finished, Obviously, they had to, you know, they had to kind of uh, fill the gaps, right? And uh, and they added the song right at the end, uh, "No Time This Time." Yeah, that's the last song, which was the B side of "So Lonely" from uh, the first album. Uh-huh. So uh, they added it to the album. So it sounds more like the first album. Doesn't yeah. sound more, but it's a great song, in my opinion. I really enjoy that one. Yeah. Uh, it's very different. Anyway, so and obviously the instrumental song, well, the the, the title track, uh, "Regatta the Blank," it could, I don't know, I'll dare to say it's one of those things. Shall we just write an instrumental? <laughs> I guess we don't have enough songs, but uh, it's it's not it's not jazz odyssey. Either. They, they, no. they, they, <laughs> it has it has a structure. <laughs> it's funny because um actually that 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 song uh let me see uh that song won grammy for best rock instrumental performance in 1981 see it is a great song yeah exactly um i think yeah i mean the songs don't all sound like it doesn't sound like as you said they went into this album this recording process with an idea and a theme and a a concept that they were going to get behind it does really sound like they've just kind of churned out some songs and that's not necessarily a bad thing it can be but i don't think it was on this occasion um you mentioned stuart copeland's song uh on a on any other day uh you know i say yeah. stuart copeland's song it's funny that one because there's a bit of humour in there as well, I think, because you've got the, the star where he says, you want something corny? You've got it. And then the song kicks off. And it's kind of like this <laughs> out-of-date rock and roll surf song, you know, from America. It actually reminds me of a, a Zappa song called Who Needs the Peace Corps? Um, <laughs> and it's just a joke kind of talking like this in a song, just trying to get a song yeah. going. It's not really singing. It's not really talking. It's some both, you know, just this odd kind of hybrid jazz fusion thing over a rock and roll beat kind of odd isn't it's it? yeah it is and uh it, it's it's um the song is is it's it is intended to be a joke really 
And um, he wrote on his website that this, the one thing he doesn't mention in the song clearly is the guy's birthday. That was his idea. He doesn't say that in the song. So they said that would like uh, uh, all these things going wrong, right, within this guy's life. Or that could have, you know, on any other day, that would be fine, but not yeah. today. But it doesn't he doesn't say why it would be fine on any other day, but right. it's the guy's birthday. I love when <laughs> when when a songwriter has got an idea that is not gonna be explicit in the lyrics, yeah. right? So in nice. that case, in that case, he's he's thinking under a perspective of a guy who should be celebrating his birthday, but everything is going wrong. No. But he doesn't say in the lyrics, it's my birthday. It's not that, you know, I love that he, he decided to not put that information there. Yeah. So he's yeah. got a character. It's, it's all fiction anyway, but the yeah. fact is like, even being a fictional character, you're not telling part of his story. It's really cool. <laughs> that is good. Um, yeah. Another song that has that rock and roll and surf feel is actually the one you mentioned. It's the last track of the album um, called No Time This Time. And I find it kind of interesting because... Again, Stuart Copeland, we've got a jazz drum solo in the intro <laughs> and in the outro as well. And it's nice yeah. because, like I said, it's got that rock and roll feel going throughout the verses and everything. Yet in the yeah. chorus, it kind of resolves to a rocky chorus, just a pure rock chorus. And I think they do this really well throughout the album where they where they, they'll take a section and they'll make maybe that maybe they make the verse reggae and then they'll make the pre-chorus punky and then they'll resolve it to a rock chorus because yeah. they do it seamlessly don't they it's not like oh this yeah. is so obviously reggae oh now they've decided to make a rock chorus it just flows doesn't it it does it does and i think uh, uh it's just there's a point i think for a songwriter or or any performing musician that is if you if you can observe every idea from different genres and then forget about it and just play yeah that is that is so hard to achieve that's why everyone can practice and learn an instrument not everyone can be creative mm. or everyone could be creative of course because you can actually you know if you try really hard if you keep practicing if you keep trying you can be uh, creative as well but it's about uh, um as i said just going from one idea to another without without boundaries without you know without having to sound like something and i think they achieved that probably because they they had no no songs previously written and no uh no ties with the record label to the point that they needed to provide them with a commercial um you know album or something yeah. that, that would be successful so there's no I think they kind of had a formula and a concept as a band, but not for the album or for any particular song. They're just like, this is who we are. Yeah. And we're just going to go there and play. And just going there and playing, that that's like the most rock and roll attitude you can have as a musician. Just <laughs> yeah. Grab an instrument, play some notes. Uh, one example is, well, the Walking on the Moon, the second, is it the second um, single of the album? I think uh, it was. Yes, well, I do too. Yeah. I think it's something. Yeah, so it's the sixth track of the uh, the album, and uh, it was um, yeah a really successful uh, single, number one in the UK. Uh, although it didn't chart in America. See, we talked about the uh, the differences between America yeah. and the UK in terms of of, of uh, charts and stuff. So uh, this song, uh, Sting was in a hotel room, and he said he just jumped out of the bed, and 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 he had this melody and lyrics walking around the room and that was that that was the main idea for the song right and yeah. then and then he wrote the riff 
And then he thought it was a bit too stupid to say walking around the room and said, can I come up with something even more stupid? Yes, which is <laughs> walking on the moon. And it's about, uh, you know, how you feel when you're in love and, and, and you feel like, you know, you know, you it's like, well, yeah, walking on the moon, there's no weight, no weight, you know. Yeah, uh, I love that yeah, song. Yeah. It's very but much the most reggae one, isn't it? Sorry, I said it's very much the most reggae song on the album, I think. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, and it's um, and what a way to write a song. You jump yeah. out of bed. Oh, you got this idea. Let's let's play a riff on top of it and see yeah. how it goes. You know. Brilliant. Stuff. Amazing. And, and, that beca- and that and that goes number one. Um, the other number one from the album was Message in a Bottle, which is arguably poli- the, the police's most famous song. Um, well, what's your opinions on that song? Brilliant. Yeah, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh, any other answer. That was fine. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have a personal story about this one. Um, Go for it. So back in the day, uh, long, long, long time ago, uh, I was playing with this pop band, or pop slash rock band. And um, so I had to learn a bunch of songs because the band, the band had gigs booked and I had to join the band and, and learn the yeah. songs and play the gigs, you know. You know. Uh, and one of the songs was Message in a Bottle. And you know, as a musician, man, when you're learning, I don't know, 40 songs in, in three days, you don't necessarily learn all the details of the song. Yes. And it's just you learn the structure. You know you know how to get to the end of the song sometimes, and that's enough if you're in yeah. a hurry to learn stuff. So I've learned loads of songs like that. And I remember it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I started where I had a studio so I could uh, I could play without bothering my neighbors so I could drum until what time I wanted, uh, anytime I wanted to. So I, I so I started practicing that song at midnight and it was three o'clock in the morning. I was still playing Message in a Bottle because wow. I noticed, oh, there's an extra, you know, open hi-hat in this point of the song. That's so cool. Let me try that. And I was so obsessed with trying to replicate every small detail on the song yeah. because it's so exciting. To, to play those parts that I couldn't stop and I couldn't stop listening to it and it's 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 such an addictive song I love it that's, and, that's yeah so I was going to say that's really funny you mentioned that because a couple of the notes I have here about the song are about fine details first point drums the final verse a ride symbol comes in that isn't there on verse one and two yeah. and it changes it all. Like I can't, I can't tell you, well, I can tell you why it's the right symbol. Just, just yeah. another little texture that just makes such a difference. And it, it, I always, I always think of songs as a journey. And I think if you're going to tell me to start here, there has to be something at the end of the song for it to have been worth it, which is why I suppose, and I'm not, I'm being very, I'm generalizing here. It's why I suppose I don't like pop music because I feel it starts yeah. at one place and never really goes anywhere. But an obvious example to counter that would be Stairway to Heaven because it starts down here then it adds textures, adds layers. You get another groove coming in, the drums come in, you get the heavy section at the end and then you come to the end of the journey, which is why I love <laughs> kind of rock and metal music because it kind of does explore that. With this, it's the same kind of thing, but to a much finer detail, you know, just that tiny ride symbol coming in. And another, the other aspect I had that I really liked about this is 
we've mentioned already about the bass playing um, and how intricate it is. Just a quick something else. Sting's solo album, Ten Summoners, Ten Summoners Tales, has two songs on there that he's written in odd time signatures. There's a song called Love is Stronger Than Justice, which is in 7-8, and there's a song called Seven Days, which, if you can guess it, is in... Five four. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like it's nine, seven, eight, he five. does that, doesn't he? Um, so te- check those out. They'll both be in the playlist. But just listen, it's just it's just some proof that Sting is a very technical bass player, and you can see that in Message in a Bottle because in the chorus it's fantastic the bass playing because it's so awkward and staggered. It goes Message in a Bottle goes dum 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 and it feels awkward. Those are triplets, I think, going over a four on the yeah. floor, I think, yeah. which isn't yes, shouldn't work. But again, the, the musicianship of these guys has just come to flourish. It's, it's to do that on the first song on the album is brilliant. Yeah, and if you do that kind of like weird rhythmic ideas, uh, it might sound displaced at first, but once you loop it and you repeat that, yeah. and it becomes it becomes as, natural and it becomes as, sounds familiar. I was going to say, as my hero Frank Zappa once said, he said, uh, "Do it once and it's a mistake. Do it twice and it's a new arrangement." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is it, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> and, and just, just yeah, just one. Uh, one one comment about this, which has everything to do with uh, our conversation about the the, uh, the backbeat. Yeah, what happened? Uh, uh, what happened in this recording is like you you can clearly hear that Stuart Copeland is avoiding the backbeat for the whole verse, playing around as I said, uh, playing percussively, mm-hmm. and when he when he gets into the chorus, now you have a straightforward rock groove snare on two and four that's the backbeat right there so it's a bit of like a t- tension and release kind of mm. like yeah because you know, because you, you keep it tense by not playing the backbeat and then you just go and play the backbeat yeah that's very interesting um, it's, it, it's really cool because then then the, the chorus becomes more powerful and, and, and it's just it's just like okay this is a this is the chorus right yeah, you know, and 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 it's where you flirt with pop music. It's not totally, like, it's not one hundred percent rock and roll. Mm. Yeah. And again, they, that that song specifically, and um, and most of the album in general, uh, is where you have. It's some people would say, "Oh, this is a pop album, not a rock album," but yes and no. So you know, it's it, it could be a pop album by a rock band. Yeah. Or, or a rock album by a pop, by a pop band. band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or a generally accessible album by a reggae band. <laughs> right. Isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. Um, and any other songs you wanted to sort of touch on? Because there's just a few bits I wanted to say. What, what I loved about this album is that, that there are some episodes, as you guys know, where I, um, where I try and give musical examples of what, of what songs I'm reminded by, by other songs. I just do that so you guys can get a sense of what I'm hearing when I hear this thing. So I've got a few examples here. And the reason that I wanted to highlight these before we sort of talk any further about anything was that you're going to hear now from my examples how 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 varied all the artists I'm going to give you are. I just said Frank Zappa um, in It's All Right For You, the verse is very, very similar to Thunder and Lightning by Thin Lizzy. 
And oh. it's just the, you know, this, this sort of staggered, aggressive approach. Um, but yet that same song, It's All Right For You, almost has a chorus that could be a Rolling Stones chorus. Like, they're just so different. Um, Bring On The Night, that sort of staccato guitar, just completely, the first thing I heard was Could You Be Loved by Bob Marley. Yeah, but here's the thing. This song specifically for me, you have the the reggae based uh, uh, bass line and, and percussion and stuff. Yeah, but you can you can hear the eighties approaching. Yeah, there's an eighties vibe yeah. to that yeah. song. Yeah. You know, it's nineteen seventy nine. We're getting there. Very <laughs> so, much so. You know. Do you know? But the other song that is very much signifying towards the eighties um, is um, Contact. Because that's got that hugely different synth bass at the end. Mm. Or not at the end, throughout the song. You know, it's got, it's got that. I don't actually remember how it goes. I can't sing it. Um, but it's like, brow, brow, brow. It's got that bass that's hugely distorted and very effecty. And I thought that, or I, when I was doing my research, I thought the police were trying. Where did I read it? Let me see in my notes. But it's something like they were trying to get away from the new wave that was coming through. So a couple of a couple of uh, genres people have associated this album with is obviously reggae, rock, post-punk, and someone has said new wave as well. So yeah. when I saw what new wave meant, new wave is pop influenced. So it's, it's, it's rock and punk influenced by pop. So maybe to making, right. making melodies more accessible, often encompassing a variety of pop styles, including power pop and synth pop. And I'm trying to find, I mean, I've got a lot of notes, so I can't find it right now, but I'm sure I read something that the police were trying to get away from this new wave thing that was coming through, you know, in the yeah, UK. Yeah, because I think it's that, more authentic, well, more rock and roll, more punky. Yeah, exactly. And, but it's clear that they didn't want to stick to one genre, isn't it? Yeah, they, they obviously. Didn't want to be yeah, very. One thing. They do flirt with it in contact with that synth bass that I think is very interesting to listen to. Um, also, uh, yeah, I thought that song. Um, and also oh, written by Stuart Copeland, that one. Contact. Oh, was it really? Well, yeah. that's. You kind of get the impression from what we've heard that Stuart Copeland is really a master of many trades. You know, not just not just drumming, but songwriting. Um, He's a composer as well for some yeah, facts. Yeah, stuff. very much yeah. so. Um, excellent. I mean, is there any other th anything else you wanted to mention, bro? Oh, do you uh, know what? Actually, sorry. Mm. I wanted to ask one thing of you. Mm. Death Wish. You know the song? Yeah. Very quickly, again, my little reminders things. When the pace quickens in that song, it really reminds me so much of an Iron Maiden song, which is crazy. All right. And I'll try and find Go on. It's a bold diddly beat. Yes, yes, that's what I was going to. I've got that here. I've literally got that Bo Diddley beat. How crazy is that, man? That's awesome. It is fucking insane. I mean, I I, I love that beat. It's it's one of my favorites, and it's uh, it's sometimes uh, um, used in in in, uh, in modern music in many different ways, yeah. or disguised as something else. In this case, they start with a kind of a, a snare kind of side stick on the rim of the snare and hi-hat and then it jumps into this bodily beat yeah. and it feels to me like this is the chorus of the song there's no chorus it's an instrumental vibe alternating with the verse mm. most of the time and i mean and, and and again great bass line yeah and you have the boom 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 which is the bodily groove 
which a very strong rhythm. They knew uh, they they I think they were very clever to incorporate that in the song, and it breaks away from everything else before the song. In, in the album. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it's funny because th- that I was just thinking there when I said uh, which song was it? Where I said it was Bob Marley. Uh, Bring on the night. Then I thought of the song "Could You Be Loved" by Bob Marley. Yeah. And it's got the 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 intro of that song is could you be loved? That intro, think about that's Bo Diddley almost. And I've never I've never done the research of the link between the rock and roll and reggae, but which is that which is based on a clave, isn't it? Yeah. And I haven't done enough research on reggae to know. Well, that's interesting. Um, do you know the other song that that I that that ha- gave off another vibe? Again, we've mentioned so many genres within this album, this episode. But you had something to say about the lyrics of this song. But the song "The Bed's Too Big Without You," yeah, ju- I just get this hugely Latin feel to it. Just the staccato notes in the riff, very unsettling, almost like a a bossa, like a Latin groove. My point was is that it's kind of unlike reggae. It's the one yeah. song where I feel instead of going for an obvious reggae vibe, they've gone for some kind of Latin. Uh, and I don't yeah. know if that's intentional or if they just tried to punk up a well, reggae beat uh, or something, but it just stands out a bit to me. I don't know when that started, but uh, Andy Summers is a big fan of Brazilian music, especially Bossa Nova. Wow, so, well, that's that's, yes, that's uh, it, yeah. Yeah, he was... Um, I remember watching this interview when they did the band's reunion. I don't remember when was that, but fairly recent. Um, yeah. Well, comparing to their long uh, career of, of those musicians. So, yeah, so they 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 had the reunion tour. When they played in Brazil, they were on Brazilian TV and I was there watching and, and they were, um, you know, going on about influences and stuff. And this uh, reporter, Shask uh, and Andy Summers about his influences. And, um, and he said, well, your music, Brazilian music, and said, really? "No, you're joking." And he, then he started playing loads of Tom Jobim songs on, on oh. guitar. He knew them all. He was just playing like I know. This. So yeah, that, I don't know if that was a more kind of a recent um, thing for him. If he started research researching that kind of music after the police, but I think he always had some uh, Latin music and Brazilian music influences, and that obviously that's going to be there. Some so that's it. Whatever you listen to. Uh, and whatever you you attempt to play is going to become part of your style. And I yeah. think they just yeah. w- they would not try to hide any of their influences, and they were not f- uh, 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 trying too hard to show the influences as well. Yeah, it's a very yeah. natural, especially when you're doing an album like that in a hurry. Yeah, know, like you know, in exactly. four weeks. Do you have um, no preparation? Do you? Because uh, I know you're normally the lyric man. Have you looked into the lyrics of this album? Is there uh, any? Yes, any I did. Uh, well, themes going on. Starting from the song we were talking, uh, "Beds to Be Without You." So this is the thing: I didn't read the book. I don't sometimes I don't like quoting books that I didn't read, but I found this information about that song, uh, which is quite disturbing. It says the lyrics were inspired by an incident uh, in uh, which Sting's first girlfriend uh, she committed suicide after their breakup. So mm-hmm. I don't know. If it's true, it's from the book Walking on the Moon, the untold story of the police and the rise of new wave rock. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, quite disturbing. That's the, name of the, yeah. the book. It's, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's, I've, I found so 
I'm quoting this without having read the book. So, but I believe, I believe it is this, this, this in the book. So, yeah, Isn't that, that's an odd. Again, we I think we said the same thing with Supertramp, but the the music doesn't necessarily reflect the darkness of the lyrics, do they? Because it's, no, no, it's no, not a sure. terrible, it's, it's yeah. not a terribly it's dark just, song, is it? It just feels like someone left the, the you know, so, or the or they you know they ended the relationship, and then yeah. it's, it's well, I don't know, I don't know if it's 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 accurate, but that's no, that. And that in terms of lyrics, the one I really liked, so it's the one that wasn't meant to be in the album, No Time This Time. Okay. I think one of the most amazing things about rock music is to communicate with working class people and you know the the the, the common people, people who are going about their business and and, and you know, um and hopping on crowded trains and going to work and i love when rock music mentions the daily struggle of common people and this yeah. song no time this time i i love this part of the song no time for a quick kiss at the railway station just time for a suitcase sandwich and a morning paper <laughs> <laughs> only time for only time for timetables and transportation no time to think no time to dare brilliant nice like, yeah. it, 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 it's it's poetic in a way, you know. So uh, well, yeah, I love if you it. Think, if you think like punk was probably uh, lyrically, you know, obviously punk was quite political, but at the same time, it had the it, it was able to bring audiences closer to the bands because they were able to relate and they were saying, you know, these are the daily struggles of people that have they have in life, and you did the same, you know, the, the same from those lyrics is this is uh this is the police's sort of punk influence lyrically coming through and saying that you know we we all struggle with the day to day life and the time exactly. Exactly, like, like like when we're talking about Green Day and how they achieved to 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 portray the um, the life of an American teenager, you know, or, or any America uh, young young boy or girl at the time, and, and it's like it's about it's about real life translated to lyrics and turned into music, and I love that, and yeah. I, I think that they they did a great job in this song. Although, as I said, that's from a, a previous single, the B side of a single, um, and I think the biggest achievement of this album is the fact that they uh, they just went for it, and yeah. they've managed to record, create, uh, arrange, record, and produce in in four weeks at the studio. That's brilliant. That is a great achievement, yeah, and the album sounds really good. I mean, I, f I forgot to tell, I forgot to give everyone the little information. I mean, it's not like you need any more, but you've got, um, the one thing we didn't mention was the release date, and it was released in October 1979, and they recorded it in, in between February and August of 79, but as you mentioned, it was sort of four weeks worth of recording, but various times in, in different months. Um, the album is very famous, obviously. It's, it's sort of their, it's their Abbey Road, isn't it? It's the one that everyone yeah. associates the police with. Um, it, the, in terms of accolades, you know, Rolling Stone have named it the 369th greatest album of all time in their top 500. Nice. Do you know, um, I think we should talk about the title as well, because Regatta mm. de Blanc means white reggae. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite is funny. It, Again, is, it, is it actual French or they just made it up? I, don't I know. think it makes sense. I used to speak French. Um, so that makes okay. sense to me. Unless the, the yeah, de Blanc means of white, sort of. Mm. Um, regatta, I kind of imagines reggae. Um, and I like I like that they just say, listen, we're not claiming to play reggae properly, yeah. isn't it? It's like yeah. white reggae. Isn't it more kind of that humour that they're going for? You know, those quirky songs yeah. like Does Everyone Stare um, on Another Day. Uh, it's just little bits of humour that they've brought in, which I think is quite cool. Um, yeah. yeah, bro, is there anything else you want to chat about? Or should I go on to um, a monologue? 
again, I just I'll just say listen to the album if you're not familiar with it yet, and if you know uh, "Message in a Bottle" and you like that song, which is which is a classic, an absolute. Then spend three hours learning it at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, if you like, if you like that kind of vibe, and if you like that song, you should listen to the album. Just saying that. That's, yeah. I, I think it's one of the main goals of this show is to encourage people to go back and listen to whole albums yeah. and appreciate music as it should be. Before I do my monologue, what's um, for you? What's rock and roll about this album? Um, I have to say again the the attitude of just let's just go and do it. Yeah, you know, yeah, fine point. Like, rock and it's, roll. It's, it's a it's a DIY album. Yeah, rock and roll is musical freedom. You can do whatever you want. You know, so do, do it yourself. Like no no influence from the label. Uh, not much money. Um, you know. No extra producers, like one one producer, sound engineer, yeah. no extra musicians involved, just three uh, highly creative minds with uh, uh, no boundaries. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what Brilliant. it is. That's what's rock and roll. Anyway, time for Laz's monologue. Yes. So the musicianship between these three gentlemen exceeds and excels in this album, delivering an album that has their punk energy, rock heaviness, but with a much stronger reggae vibe than their previous albums. Each member delivers a potentially virtuotistic performance throughout the album, which, if isolated, seems eccentric and over the top, but coming together and making it part of a larger song, it realises and executes the police's hybrid style of rock, punk and reggae. Songwriting-wise, the songs are really well structured and arranged, even down to the layers of guitar and the atmosphere created. For a band that were potentially targeting the pop world, the songs have plenty of time to breathe. They're never afraid to let each song run to the end and repeat riffs, giving each song the length and time to fully mature and develop. It's a really great album that also seems to have a sense of humour to it, featuring some funny vocal performances alongside some outdated surf-slash-rock-and-roll riffs. The reggae vibe being quite prevalent throughout the album, but actually never dominating or overtaking this unique sounding rock band. Wow, yeah, that's it. Nice, yeah, <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love when you say never dominating because it sounds to me that they didn't let any aspect of the album overpower any other aspect. It's, it's almost perfectly it's balanced. Such a great, yeah. yeah, it really great, is such a great yeah. mix of 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 loads of styles. Yeah. yeah. Well, what a, anyway, guys. What thank an you. album. I know. What an album. Go and listen to it. As Felipe said, go and listen to it. Guys, thank you again for joining us for another episode of the podcast. Um, as usual, please go on our socials, hit the like, hit the subscribe, you know, share everything you can with like minded stuff. folks. Older stuff as well. Yeah. Um, the I say every time, but it helps us a lot. Giving us reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify mean the world to us because whether you listen or not, it's not actually about how many listens that get us to the top of the charts and get us listening to more people. It's about exposure, and exposure is giving us ratings and reviews. So if you give us a five-star rating on either of those things, if you think we're worth it, of course, uh, then that would be hugely appreciated. Because yeah, if you think it, we're worth four stars, just give us five. Come on, that also doesn't matter. Yeah, four stars is fine. <laughs> if you think three, two, or one stars, then please email me and we'll have a conversation. No, I'm joking. Um, but I think you know, like I said, it helps very much. It gets us exposed. It gets us to the top of the charts and the algorithms, uh, and it means we get to be seen and heard by more people. And I hope that we do get to be seen and heard by more people because I hope you guys can hear and see that we love the music we talk about and even bands that. You know, I've never listened to another Police album, but I thoroughly enjoyed this. And as it seems to be the case every week, we get a new album, we discuss it, we give our opinions, give our 
give our thoughts on it and we're just always wanting to listen and be introduced to new music so thank you for always being part of this journey with us uh felipe tell them where they can find us um you can find us on the internet there you go guys thank you very much (laughs) for joining us i hope you have a wonderful week and we'll catch you in two weeks and uh as always keep on rocking everyone (laughs) and as usual take care and long live rock and roll